Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Freo Bigfooty podcast. This week we'll look back at Fremantle claiming its first ever McClellan Trophy with a comfortable 54 point win over Melbourne. We'll have a look at the mass resting this week. We'll also talk about the impact that it'll have on Peel Thunder who have qualified for their first ever finals as well as looking at Brownlow news and maybe some potential All-Australians. Joining us this week is our usual resident Victorian expert, Seppo. How are you, mate? Uh, good evening, Centurions, and we're here. It's the last game of the year. We've moved quickly onto it, and it's yeah, it's coming around quickly. I'm really looking forward to getting into uh, September now. Yeah, last week, Seppo, we saw Fremantle 17 goals, 6-108, defeated Melbourne 8 goals, 6-54, in a game that really didn't reach any great heights, uh, to be fair, but... At the end of the day, it was still a comfortable victory. Fremantle did what they had to do. They broke the 100-point barrier. Um, so that kept the journos uh, without something to write for the week. And all in all, a reasonable good day, apart from probably the late sort of uh, shoulder injury to Sutcliffe. Uh, it was all a pretty good day all around, really. Yeah, it was. And I think a lot of the uh, importance of this game was actually held before with the Eagles losing to... Adelaide giving us the opportunity and win and just set up what we're uh, looking at now. And I think it was quite a clinical, something we probably both predicted that Freo would just smash out a good lead and just go into their holding pattern and grind out the result. And I think just those couple extra goals towards the end helped, like I say, get over that 100 point that we're all sort of looking for. It wasn't necessarily the margin, but knowing that we can definitely kick over a score. And I think, um, obviously, with the the subbing of Pav exactly on 50 minutes into the game just seems a bit predicted. And I think now it's starting to become more um, apparent that you know, there's a lot of managing of players and the, a lot of calculated decisions gone into naming each week and even just the management of players out there and, and even just having a look at the, um, you know, the way that we haven't risked anything with Walters coming out before the game and, and, you know, Pav coming out and, Sutcliffe not being risked and staying on the bench when his shoulder popped out and being strapped up. It's We are taking a serious approach. The result was really just done. So getting 54-point win was uh, roughly right, I think. And um, probably I would have even been happy with a, a less margin in the end if it meant you know, one or two less more injuries. Yeah, I think it was... Uh, first of all, it was probably a bit unfortunate that Nathan Jones went down early, Seppo, with a... Uh, Achilles ankle type injury. It was great class by the uh, people in front of the bench. They gave him a cheer, and if you saw the tweets he put out afterwards, he thanked the Freo fans for giving him a big round of applause when he actually came up from the rooms and being subbed out. So it was good to see the um, supporters in there giving him a good uh, cheer for his uh, what, 200th milestone game. Yeah, I mean, that came right past where, where I normally sit, and, uh, yeah, there certainly was generous applause there for it. Uh, just a couple of things, Seppo. I thought... Um, Ed Langdon looked pretty positive in his first game. He did a terrific tackle early on and uh, got a couple of touches and uh, certainly didn't look out of place out there. Yeah, he sort of came out with a bang, got excited, no sub, which was fantastic to see. And uh, thank God the sub vest is going next year, but it's a, another point in itself. But he sort of came out and then sort of, as young players do, disappear for a bit. And I think in the last quarter, he probably got a bit of a talk and another sort of second wind and came out there and had a bit of an impact. So you can see those young kids getting lost in it or probably you know, get subbed out if Pav, Pav hadn't been subbed out earlier. But good to see that he um, at least showed a bit of what he can do and looked very quick and lively. So it's good to see that you know both Weller and Langdon coming in, you can see what's been performing down at Peel all year. Yeah, I was just having a look at the stats after the game, Seppo, and I must admit, like, while we were watching, certainly it didn't look like the, like the likes of Viney or Cross. You know, I think Cross had 39 touches and... <laughs> 
only had 30 and it just didn't seem like they, you know, having that massive impact on the game. But, um, you know, obviously they did get a fair few touches on it. Uh, and Fremantle obviously had likes of Lockie Neal, but it's good to see Barlow get a you know a few more touches, getting over 30 for the first time in a little while. And once again, Stephen Hill continued his outstanding form with 30 touches as well, Sebo. Mm. I think there was, um, even though Garlett and Hogan kicked two goals each, I think they were kind of well held and our defence held up a bit again that with uh, a good spread. They didn't really have too much damaging because there always seems to be one or two that sort of gets off and one of those players... Tends to kick a couple, but I think some of those goals are quite easy ones out the back and ones where we just sort of fell asleep a bit in the half. And for us piling on those stream of goals straight away, it was some junk and easy goals that the Melbourne players got. Yeah, I thought um, Dawson did a really terrific job, actually, on uh, Hogan. And, you know, as I said, I mean, he only had six touches. And, I mean, probably if I remember rightly, a couple of those touches you wouldn't actually want him to have, Seppo. So, I mean, you're certainly not going to rely on him to give you any sort of drive out of the back line. But... He's one percenters, and he's just, I mean, sometimes as well, you, you can't really appreciate some of the stuff he actually does unless you're watching the game live. There'll be things where he'll sort of roll off his man. There was an instance where on the uh, sort of super, the railway side of the ground and he ran off his man. I can't remember exactly who it was, just in front of near the interchange there, and he just put enough pressure on so the guy, the Melbourne player, had to kick the ball along the ground, and then it just gave McFarlane enough time to get back there, and eventually the ball went out of grounds where out of bounds where he quite easily could have just stayed on his man and it certainly would have given them a much easier passage to goal. So, um, you know, as you said, he doesn't, you know, always necessarily give you that, uh, you know, fantastic disposal, but he's, he certainly makes up for it in other areas along the ground. And you can see why he's a favourite of Ross Lyon because he does have that senseless exit time and do, certainly doing those one percenters. Mm, definitely. It was uh, quite interesting. I know you've been calling it for the last couple of weeks is the return of Clancy Pierce. I noticed he um, didn't really get on the kicks too much. He had 21 handballs and only six kicks. So it's uh, interesting just the way we move the ball. And I know we're a bit more um, accurate with some of the other guys like Mundy that just uh, went to town with his delivery out of the uh, midfield. And he'll obviously dominate again. And even Daniel Pierce had a nice uh, stroke of uh, form and even got on the scoreboard to get with a couple of himself. So kicking three goals, one and 24 touches is really good for Daniel Pierce. Probably one of his better games for the year. And... Pav getting that early three and then coming off was good to see as well. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, although Pierce didn't get a lot of the ball down there, Seth, I still thought he was like it was a pretty good performance um, coming back. And uh, you know, you know, he didn't use his kicking a lot, but I thought he sometimes didn't require. Lucky Neil normally comes down quite regularly and just sort of takes that ball off half back. And I thought Pierce did that a little bit more, so left Neil a little bit further up the ground. Uh, did you think any, you know, we obviously each week we talk about those sort of three or four players on the fringe, Seppo. Did anyone sort of stand out or drop back in the picking order, so to speak, for you? Well, I suppose I was impressed with guys like uh, um, Spur and um, Subin and even some patches Sheridan. Um, I think there was probably a bit of improvement from some of those lower-tier players. I think Griffin struggled a bit. Um, only getting seven touches and probably provided enough of a chop out for Sandlands, but I still think that Clark at his best might be a better option going forward. And, and Griffin's been doing well, obviously having that combination with Sandlands. But um, yeah, there wasn't too many guys that you know we thought we needed a bit of a lift of, of really showing something. So there's um, yeah, a lot of those guys did sort of lift, and um, yeah, Daniel Pierce and Clancy Pierce and Subin have been a couple that have probably 
and even Barlow in that same category. You know, Barlow getting over 30 touches again and, and kicking a goal and, and really helping out that midfield group without Fife there was uh, really good to see. Yeah, I agree with you about the uh, ruck situation, Seppo. I'm not like I think Griffin has been reasonably good chop out, and then some weeks you just think he's not going to do enough, and then all of a sudden he'll come and kick a couple of goals in the first quarter. Mm. Um, but I don't think you know. It'll be interesting this week. I think Clark's got a real opportunity to maybe push his case. And I saw that um, Griffin's been sort of uh, out with a hamstring this week, so I don't know how serious that is. But it'll certainly give Clark, I think, every opportunity to uh, maybe try and cement a spot back before the finals comes in. What about the uh, sort of combination or the players between uh, when we're looking at the likes of DeBoer and Mzungu and those types, uh, Seppo, you know, and really, I mean, Subin's the other one, as you said, in the mix. And I think Subin's sort of, certainly a little bit, probably stepped ahead of those two in particular. Mazungu still does worry me a little bit about his decision-making and uh, he's particularly some of his uh, ball use at times hasn't been as good as it has been in the past. Yeah, I think the um, the ball use the previous week against uh, North Melbourne and even just this decision-making was probably down a bit. I think it improved, but it's still not to the same level as we all expect Mazungu to be. So I think he's still got some work to get back to his uh, top output. I think Subin's now just stringing it together and the way he pushes the ball forward, you, even if the ball's not going, probably not registered as an effective disposal, but what he can do and where he pushes and where actually spots up some of his kicks, probably in the same mould as Daniel Pearce, that a lot of people that aren't really looking at what's happening and, and what they set up to, is, uh, yeah, it goes unnoticed, a lot of his um, hard work and even getting stuck in there and laying huge tackles. And it was something that I think Dermot Berridan picked up in the commentary if you were there at the ground, you probably didn't hear it being mentioned, but the tackling technique of guys like Main and DeBoer and Subin, even though Subin's probably a bit reckless with his um, style of tackling, but um, the other two, DeBoer and Main, put on some massive tackles and even got rewarded with a couple of holding the ball decisions, which was great to see. Yeah, and I think the fact that DeBoer kicked a couple of goals will certainly won't do his harmony, uh, you know, any sort of badly or won't hurt his chances at all, um, Seppo. I think if, if he's going to be out there, he does have to be at least some sort of threat. And uh, I know that there were a couple of sort of, you know, cheap ones out the back, but the fact of the matter is he still ran hard and made position. So, um, as I said, a few of those guys I think will be playing for spots this week, that's for sure. And, I mean, if we have a look at the side from last week, Seppo, what was listed and what played, I think we can definitely say that um, there's going to be four players who have to definitely come back into the side, regardless of what we had last week. So uh, Walters, Fife, Ballantyne, and probably Alex Pierce would be the other one. So you'd have to think there's at least four changes that have to be made from that side last week. Um, and maybe we'll just talk a little bit about it later on in the uh, pod, Seppo, but I think uh, I'll give you a chance to think about it. But we probably have to pick four players to drop out of that side as it stands from last week. Any other points that you sort of saw from afar this week, mate, that you want to bring up? No, I think the um, obviously that that fast start and the blitz or the press or the blast or whatever they're calling it is obviously something that works for us and really got Melbourne on the back foot and you can just see they shut up shop and just change the, the style and, and where they pushed and even who were leaving behind the ball and, and the way we moved it around. So you can definitely see that they are in control of what they're doing and yeah, Melbourne kicked a couple late and suppose we got out to a lead of about 60 and almost maintained that same margin, went back and forward a bit for the rest of the game. It was just good to see that the guys sort of got out unscathed, really, and we got the points after uh, 
the uh, loss to the Eagles that gave us our uh, big McCullen trophy, like you said at the start. Yeah. The other interesting um, quick point as well, Sepo, is that just noticing that, you know, probably the last three or three weeks, particularly watching a lot of it live, is just like, uh, you know, it's good to see like guys like Maine starting to get a little bit of format, but it's unusual that he, and I'm surprised his coach, like the coaches haven't spoken to him about it, just the fact he leans so far back on his kick when he's going for goal. He, um, you know, and he's really struggling to make any distance because he just tends to, it's like he's sort of laying back when he's trying to kick the ball and it's just an unusual habit that maybe he just hasn't been able to get out and for some reason he's struggling to kick 30, 35 metres because of it. And you'd think that with all the coaches down there, they would at least try and address that part, you know, with finals coming up. Mm. All right, moving on from that, Seppo, we had the uh, waffle results again last week and... Uh, Peel Thunder had a comfortable uh, 16 goal, 12, 108, defeated South Fremantle five goals, oh sorry, nine goals, 15, 69, and allowed them to cement their first ever spot in the finals, coming third. And obviously, it'll have a big impact for them this week with the mass changes coming up, which we'll talk about shortly. But still, a terrific season for Peel and their best ever in 19 years. Yeah, it's fantastic to see the uh, the alignment, and obviously, a lot of people kicking up fuss about what it means for both Frio and um, Peel being obviously in that final, but it's, it's great to see that, you know, they've pushed into finals and this is going to be value experience for the guys that aren't actually there playing, um, obviously, in the uh, the main gig. There's still, you know, a lot of good players and guys like Jeddah and um, some of the other guys have just been playing, I think the Eagles, the other one that's been playing fantastic, you know, couple of weeks of footy, hopefully it can actually help Peel go deep into this final series and I'm still trying to get my head around how the, uh, the you know, top five final system works, but it's um yeah, it's exciting times for Peel to uh, get in there and get a chance. Obviously, Subiac are going to be the favourites, but it'd be great to see if Peel at least get a, a final win out of this somewhere along the line. Yeah, a couple of little uh, changes as well this week. Seppo, uh, Sean Hurley decided they moved him back into defence a bit this again this week, and uh, he, I think he certainly looked a little bit more comfortable than he had the previous time when he was down there. So maybe that move forward just made him appreciate it a little bit better and. Uh, he certainly hit his targets a little bit better than he had in the past and, and his body work was certainly a little bit stronger. So um, he's certainly developing pretty well. And once again, Ballard had a pretty strong game, racking up 29 possessions as he has all season and a bit of a Sandover medal fancy as well this for him. So it's interesting his uh, position this week in the with the Fremantle squad, which we'll talk about shortly, and maybe that was part of the deal with the alignment that they've made sure that he is available to give them some sort of... a semblance of a chance against uh, in the first game next week against West Perth. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a big one. All right. Moving on from that game, and there's not a lot to talk about there. Um, Seppo, obviously the main talk with regards to that is the fact that the integrity of maybe not only the AFL but the waffle final system with the alignment is uh, under siege a little bit with uh, obviously Fremantle and Peel. Um, playing sort of aligning together and Peel obviously having a very small or a very limited side this week with a number of their better players going over to Port. And I think that's not necessarily Fremantle's fault. I think it's also the fault of the waffle and the fact that they've got to try and align those end of seasons up a little bit better. So, you know, there's always a possibility that it may have happened and, uh, you know, it has come to fruition. And if there's not clashes now, there can be probably in further weeks. It's just hard to predict what each side, both us and the Eagles, 
with their alliance side, actually what's happening during the uh, final series at both Waffle Level. And I suppose the same thing happens through the VFL and the sample as well. So it's not, you know, a, a problem that it's only us. It's probably a lot of sides that look at in terms of uh, fixture scheduling and clashes. Yeah, and it'll be certainly something I think they'll look at over the off-season and the way that they structure those the season fixtures um, based on the fact that there is a possibility it may happen again. And with West Coast being a little bit stronger this year, they'll uh, there's a possibility. I know Simpson hasn't done it this week, but there will be a possibility, I think, if they could rest, that they would certainly give a few players a rest out of the uh, lineup there as well. And there's been talk this week, Seppo, as well, about uh, the East Perth and Eagles alignment possibly falling apart and and the Eagles trying to go their own way in 2017. So it'll be interesting to see what if Fremantle try and also do the same thing or whether they're happy to stay with the current alignment that Peel has. All right. Changes this week, Seppo. I think it'll take us a little while to uh, get through them all this week, but... Uh... Yeah, special edition of the podcast. Uh, half an hour of it's just going through the changes this week, so uh, I suppose we'll get started now. So obviously the Saturday game, it's uh, 3.20 for... Uh, I think those folk in uh, Adelaide, Central Time, obviously uh, half an hour forward for Melbourne and uh, back for people in the west at Port Adelaide. Simple changes. They've uh, admitted Angus Momfries and Aaron Young and comes into their side as Joe Schultz and Jake Need. And over to Frio. I'll take a breath in. And out of the side comes Lee Spur, Stephen Hill, Jonathan Griffin, Cameron Sutcliffe, Daniel Pearce, Michael Johnson, Aaron Sandlands, Luke McFarlane, Matthew Pavlich, Chris Mayne and David Mundy. All rested other than Sutcliffe with a shoulder and Griffin with a hamstring. Um, what we're looking at bringing in is Alex Pearce, Lockie Weller, Zach Clark, Hayden Crozier, Max Duffy, Matt Tabernard, Jack Hanneth, Tanner Smith, Ethan Hughes, Brady Gray and Connor likely. Now, uh, obviously, with the emergencies, Jacob Ballard, Craig Muller, and Daniel Pearce are listed. Ballard's the emergency that's flown over. And um, great to see potential, depending if he uh, plays or not, potential uh, three debutants there with Ethan Hughes, Brady Gray, and kind of Blakely all uh, named there to uh, get their first game, which is uh, fantastic to see. Really surprised in a couple of... Oh, not surprised with the resting so much, Seppo, but just the players they um, did and didn't play. I thought with Moller's potential list, uh, he has to, that decision has to be made on him this year, whether uh, they, they've either made a decision one way or the other, you'd have to think based on the fact that they're not going to give him a game. And Jacob Ballard, who's arguably had the best waffle form of everyone playing or in those potential listed ins in terms of possessions... Uh, we've talked a little bit about his disposal at times, does let him down, but in terms of actual um, his impact and his getting the ball, he's probably been their most consistent player all year and has been listed as an emergency. So uh, if he doesn't play, you'd have to think he'd come home and play on Sunday for Peel Thunder, and maybe that's part of the alignment with Peel. They've decided to keep him, run him, or like keep him over for that game, but I thought he might have got a game this week. Yeah, it's amazing. Even just to look at the, the guys that we... Uh... Haven't had a game yet for Frio. So currently Frio have uh, used 32 players this year, which is the equal lowest, I think, along with Adelaide or possibly one other side. With the uh, potential um, 
inclusions into this side. We're looking at bringing um, you know, Hughes in for his first game, Brady Gray, Max Stuffy playing his first game for this year. He's obviously got two under his belt. Tanner Smith obviously played that one game down in Tassie. He comes in for his uh, first this year. And obviously uh, Connor Blakely as well. There's After those guys actually get their game, there's only going to be about six guys that actually <laughs> haven't had a game for Freo this year and uh, that could potentially play. So obviously other than uh, Sylvia that's um, retired and Crowley that's been suspended, you've only got really Morabito, Apness, DeLuca, Moller, Vandalua, Ballard and Hurley that uh, haven't had a game for Freo this year. So we'll go from one of the uh, least players used to one of the most. Yeah, and you know, it just shows how you know dumb that stat really is at times. But it does give—I mean, it does give you an indication, particularly in terms of injuries and stuff. But you know, that will go out the window for this one. And a number of those players who have been listed, Seppo, have played a number of games this year. Alex Pierce, Zach Clark played a lot early in the season. Crozier's had a pretty good run. Taverner had a good run early in the year. Hannah's played a few, so it's not like they're bringing in guys who've never played at all. But it's certainly, definitely not in our best. Uh, you know, probably our best 10 to 12 players are arguably being rested this week. And you'd have to think Port, with their uh, form they've showed over the last few weeks, will be definitely too strong for outside. But I think we'll put up a little bit better show than some people expect. Yeah, I'm certainly hoping better than the last time we played St Kilda away in that time. When you, when you look at the uh, players that are actually listed out there, Duffield will be the most experienced um Think, I think it's Duffield. Let me just check the quick stats. Duffield has played 170 games. He will be the most experienced out there. So I'm not sure if he's the uh, logical captain choice, but I was a bit of talk on the board about who's going to uh, captain the side and if it's going to be someone quiet like Stephen Hill or maybe a, a future guy like DeBoer or um, probably even Lockie Neal's a potential or Barlow. It'll be interesting to see who, uh, with a lot of the uh, leadership team out there missing, who's going to be... Uh, Tossing the corn at the start of the game and providing a bit of on-field leadership. Yeah, Lockie Neal was on the uh, news tonight doing the interview as they flew out, and he certainly came across, you know, very well spoken and does show some of that sort of uh, leadership potential. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he does get the gig, but maybe as a farewell, because you'd have to think some of those guys, particularly like Duffield, this may be his last year, mm. depending on uh, how it goes with the other side of it. And um, I'm surprised they didn't give it Garrick Ibbotson a break either, uh, Seppo. Yeah, one of the only ones that are still there that have played all, all year. I think there's not too many that are actually out there and named. I think Barlow potentially might be the only other one that's played every single game this year. So obviously those guys need it. I think Neil as well. Probably Neil, Barlow and Ibo and Subin are the guys that have um, sort of got through every single uh, game. And probably, obviously, if they've looked at it, said you're young. You're not older like the uh, the other guys out there. You don't need the rest. So... There's obviously a lot of science that's gone into these selections and the strength and condition coaches are obviously saying these younger guys, you need to get out there. We probably might have seen one or two more changes. Yeah, is there any uh, sort of players that you're really looking forward to or any matchups out there, Seppo? I no, think it'd be good to see my, your... Oh, sorry. I was going to jump straight in and just say Brady Gray. I think we've been um, talking about him for quite yeah. a while ever since I've uh, been wanting to see him get his uh, spot and... We've always been looking for who's that next small defender we've had, and he's got a huge challenge, especially if he gets a gig and plays in that back pocket or even uh, off a half-back. It could come against uh, someone great like Chad Wingard or one of those other guys out there. Even you know Jake Need would be a handful or um, Gray as well. So 
Um, it will be interesting to see if uh, Brady does get that role and you know he's been performing quite well and everyone talks about his hardness in the waffle. Let's just see if that uh, translates to some uh, you know good strength, hard contest and can actually run with some of the best AFL sort of small quick forwards. It'd be interesting to see how they who they do play on Robbie Gray. I don't think uh, Gray's our Brady Gray Sepo probably has the the wheels to go with uh, Robbie Gray, and I'd be love to see him uh, have a go on Chad Wingard for a little bit just to see what he does offer. Uh, but there is no real sort of natural matchup out there for Robbie Gray. You'd have to think, and it'd be interesting to see whether who they do uh, and how they line up because Blakely you'd think would be on maybe maybe they'll put him on. Uh, Travis Boak and the other player, Sam Gray's, you know, and all the Grays, this uh, 50 Shades of Grey, Seppo. But... Yeah, there's only three of them out there. Yeah, Sam but the, Gray. But Sam Gray's um, Gray been sensational. Gray. <laughs> Sam Gray's been sensational the last few weeks, racking up 30 plus touches. So he'll be another one that uh, will be interesting to see how they go. Yeah. And Jay Schultz maybe potentially uh, playing with his, playing his last game for Port as well, mate, with uh, being named this week and. Lots of talk about whether he'll stay there and maybe even come to Frio next year. Yeah, there's talk that Charlie Dixon might even come down from Gold Coast and he wants to go to Port, so that might push Schultz out and getting older. But you know, he would be handy if he um, did end up coming our way. But be uh, a good challenge for you know for Alex Pierce and Dawson. They have got the uh, Schultz and Ryder and Westhoff to deal with. There's three targets that are going to be a challenge for them. It'd be interesting to see Hughes if he's playing that Ibbotson role, playing a path back and and see someone that's... It's amazing to think that Hughes only really started playing AFL um, or playing for a club in the Waffle a couple of years ago. He's apparently developed and been very quick, and it'll be interesting to see straight away from a bit of footy at the highest level who he sort of uh, plays closely to, because I've heard comparisons between uh, Ibbotson and some of our other taller defenders, even though he's a bit light on for size, but give it time. It'll be interesting to see what his wears are like. Yeah, for sure. Do you think Alex Pierce will play for? He's been listed at half back, and we know that the way they're listed isn't really important. And Tanner Smith may end up going in that back back six, but do you think they will uh, maybe at times see how Tabner and Pierce work together up forward? Yeah, it'd definitely be a combination you'd like to see. And I think with um, Hannath and Clark there as well, you're probably going to want a bit more mobility and uh, excitement up front. So maybe Alex Pierce will shift forward or do a bit of half half. Um, we've seen it before. He's almost a, a very competent swingman now that he's almost as good as a backman as his little time spent up forward. I think it would be nice to obviously get a bit more penetration on his kick and his skill set seems more suited to a backman at the moment. But um, I think if he needs to go forward, it, it will look good. And um, coming coming up against Homsch and Jonas will be, uh, and I suppose Broadbent as well is not exactly a taller type, but I suppose they're missing a couple of their uh, key backmen as well. Yeah, one of the things with Port this year, Seppo, is that their the combination with Lob and Ryder hasn't worked as probably as well as they would have hoped. And having a look at their listed side this week, they have Lob, Ryder, Schultz, Westhoff, and John Butcher. So <laughs> they're certainly going in with plenty of key forwards in there, and whether they're sort of deciding which ones to keep or whatnot, but uh, they've certainly got a very tall forward line potentially listed there with if they all do play as list as named. I suppose we've got at least enough tall key backs with Piers Dawson and Tanner Smith out there to go with, but it will uh, yeah, be a, a test for those guys because I think, based on the midfield dominance, that the ball's going to be coming out of the uh, midfield towards Port's uh, 
way because uh, even looking at the combination of Hannath, DeBoer and Neil in the midfield with someone like Clancy Pierce or the younger guys, Weller and Blakely trying to uh, win the ball, it's going to be um, not exactly our usual dominance of the, the Monday, Fife and Sandy combo. So it's um, yeah, it's going to be quite interesting because it could th- I know it's uh, probably wishful thinking here, but it could throw up an uh, interesting mix and they've obviously got no tapes to go over to have a look at our setups for this. So maybe the elements of surprise and some of these guys obviously playing a lot of uh, footy appeal together, bring them all in at once and they've got the chemistry to perform together. Obviously, it's going to be a harder challenge, bigger bodies. There's obviously a, a skill difference between them, but at least there are some you know, positives and benefits that you're actually looking at a lot of these guys coming together at once. And for the supporters as well, Seppo, we, uh, although, you know, I'm poor, I'm sure we'll be happy to finish the year if they do win comfortably, as you would expect. Um, but it'll be also good for Fremantle supporters just to have a game where they don't the sort of, it'll be stress-free, as some of, on the board have said. And I think it'll be also good for Ross Lyon. I'm, as you know, I'm quite a big fan of Sheridan, but, you know, his kicking has let him down a little bit at times. And uh, he's normally a better disposer of the ball than probably what he has done. And maybe whether he's trying a little bit hard, but... It'd be nice to see him pushed up the ground a little bit this week, Seppo, and maybe put him onto a wing and just see how he, you know, just have that ability to run and play in his more natural position. Uh, and I think having maybe the hymn of likes of him and Lockie Weller on the wings and uh, Blakely in the middle will certainly give us a bit of a glimpse into the future of, you know, with what Fremantle will have to, have to say. And I'd also like to see Crozier as well, you know, because with Duffy in there, Duffy is probably going to end up in that sort of graveyard corner, so they call it, and... Uh, I'd like to see Crozier play that little bit more across half forward where I think he's a bit more naturally um, at home than playing deeper in that forward pocket. He's definitely got the leg to sort of kick. If he's 50 out, Crozier could probably uh, guarantee he'll make the distance. So it's probably better to see Crozier a bit further away from goals. And I think we've mentioned in the past, he doesn't exactly play that Ballantyne role because he's not that small, manicky forward type that Duffy is. So I think Duffy's more of a like-for-like with Ballantyne and Crozier's that kind of role that Maine's been playing in the past for us, but it's probably more of that accurate kick, I'd say, now that Crozier is um, probably taking over Maine and, um, with his accurate kicking. And uh, he's um, definitely filled out a bit in size, I think, since Crozier started getting a lot of games. But it's, um, even just we were talking about the uh, the players that are not out there, just brought to my attention a while ago that uh, this is going to be Daniel Pierce's uh, first game missed for Fremantle ever since he came across and, and breaks an 85-game continuous uh, streak, which I think was at the stage third in the AFL or fourth, just behind Gaff and I think one other North player. So it's um yeah, it's a shame to see some of those uh, long-standing records just broken and changed and thrown out the window for this game. Yeah, uh, for those fans who are probably you know going to be a bit disappointed, maybe not having some of the uh, head-shaking that Daniel Pierce can sometimes do, Seppo. I think Duffy will come in and uh, more than adequately... Fill that role. Fill that role. He'll do some stuff that's absolutely amazing, and then he'll do something that will absolutely make you shake your head. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, but he did show a fair bit down in that Geelong game a couple of years ago where Mundy just missed that goal on the sirens, Seppo. And yeah. hopefully he does get a chance to show his wares because on his day he can uh, do some stuff that is quite mercurial. Mm. And if we're looking for head-shaking as well... Looking across to the umpires, we've got Luke Farmer, Brendan Hosking, and Troy Pennell. So two of our favourites there, Farmer and Pennell. So this will be uh, quite interesting. And let's just hope they don't do enough to earn themselves finals uh, umpiring spots because there's a lot of other better ones out there that I think have had good calls this year. So it will be quite interesting. Yeah, so the main thing we're looking at really this week, Seppo, is to make sure we get through the game. 
those guys who need a bit of conditioning do so and no injuries or no dumb suspensions. And if we can get through all that, I think, uh, you know, obviously the proof will be in the pudding in a couple of weeks' time, but uh, I, I think uh, his, the decision by Ross Lyon and the coaching committee is definitely the right one. And I'm hoping and we'll hopefully see that in a couple of weeks' time when more than likely we'll line up against Sydney on the Saturday night. Now, the interesting thing is, if you thought the changes were hard this week with the 11 changes we've made, just think of the, the week after when there'll probably be potentially more with players like Ballantyne, Walters and Firefall sort of coming back and potentially one or two more. But, it's, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting when you look at these names going, well, you're going to lose your spot. You just wonder what, how much stock they actually take into a good performance from this game. If, you know, a young kid tears the game apart, does he automatically become a nice sub-choice for the week after or they just can't afford to reward you know, a one-off performance and only if you've had a couple of games this year. So looking at the guys that are there, um, you know, Weller's had a couple of games, Langdon's had a couple of games. It'd be amazing to, to say that, you know, Brady Gray could come in and or kind of Blakely play an absolute blinder of a game and actually carry them over into the following week and make one less change that they were uh, going to do. Yeah, I'd be stunned if any of those first-year players make the final 22, Serpo. But stranger things have happened and, you know, but it's not Ross Lyon's style and I'd be very surprised if it happens. So what's your tip for this week, mate? Um, obviously, it might be the first time this year that I'm going to go against Fremantle and I'm going to say Port Adelaide by about 28 points. Yeah, I think Fremantle will try a little bit and give a bit of a yelp early, but I think Port will try and finish the season off on a bit of a high give their fans something to uh, go home happy about and sort of lick their wounds in the off-season. And I think they'll probably end up winning by around about that six-goal margin. So 38 points for mine. And, and Port have actually uh, got something to lose. If they were smart, they could technically tank this game and improve their draft position by about three with the two other sides around them getting wins. They're sitting at ninth at the moment and they can potentially drop to 12th with a loss. So... <laughs> if they were smart, and uh, obviously don't get accused for tanking, but it would look pretty funny losing to this Fremantle side. It'd be amazing if we did somehow secure a win, but for Port, there is actually a bit at stake for them winning and losing, even obviously probably winning for their membership and just a lot of those players out there will be their natural go-to, but there is technically something in it if they do lose. <laughs> well, that's right, and it won't affect their draw for next year because reality is they're in that, going to be in that middle six and... Some of those teams like West Coast this year have had a powder puff draw for the last few years. Seppo will certainly notice a difference next year when instead of coming out and playing the likes of GWS and Melbourne and St Kilda in the first three or four rounds when they've got Hawthorne uh, you know, and some of the top sides in the comp for the first three or four rounds, it will certainly make a difference with the way they're doing it. The other good news today, Seppo, was the fact that we won't be talking about next year with who's going to dub the, dub the vest anymore with the sub rule being... Axed and the interchange is going down to 90, which won't affect Fremantle that much, really. When you look at this interchange number, Seppo, they're really um, hovering around the 100 mark anyway. Yeah, I've had a look at that every sort of week and go back over and see 100, 103. Um, at the most, I think I've seen about 110 or 11. I've never seen us actually get close to the 120. And I think, I think they've started to train ourselves knowing that it's coming to start to work down those uh, numbers. And I think it'll probably benefit a lot of those players that are endurance runners and I don't know if the uh, AFL is expecting the the game to really uh, you know keep the best players out there and 
you know, open up because obviously they'll, if uh, coaches control what happens, they'll um, slow the game game plan down and play slow, chipping around footy. So I don't know what they're trying to achieve out of it, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the uh, the style instead of this crazy, you know, you know, Bulldogs North Melbourne style all running game plans start to go out of the window. You see less of it next year. Yeah, the other interesting point today with. There's been lots of discussion about Seppo is North Melbourne resting their players eighth, look, then looking for a home final. I could just could you imagine the whinging Brad Scott would be doing if it was the other way around with Adelaide resting all their players and guarantee North Melbourne have to travel to Adelaide for a home final and uh, you know North Melbourne not doing it the other way. You could just imagine Brad Scott would be just bleeding nonstop about it. So I don't have a problem if a team like Fremantle or even even in some cases like Hawthorne who are third and realistically aren't going to lose to Carlton, and it's not going to affect the makeup. But with such a crucial game in the bottom of the eight, I'm really surprised the AFL's endorsed it. And it'll be interesting to see what they do next year, whether they do maybe give it, you know, with the grand final being a week later this year, where they just decide to give everyone a bye the week before the finals, give everyone a chance to build up, you know, have, give everyone a week off and then really sort of build up the excitement for the finals the week after, or whether they do keep it as it is, because it's going to happen more and more, you'd have to think. And they're talking about two buys next year as well, so it'll be interesting to see how they're placed out and what that means. But yeah. the other road over into the uh, All Australian um, possible selection that's going to be talked about in the next coming weeks as we get into finals, and it'll be quite interesting to see. Other than the, the given Fife, even though he's missed out on probably games, he'll be one of the first picked for All Australian. But it'll be interesting to see who makes a squad and potentially the final cut. Who uh, your thoughts to let's start I, with the squad? I think we'll have. I think potentially we have four other guys that will make the squad. I think Sandlins will make the squad. Uh, I think he's probably got rucked well enough to actually get in the side, but I just have a funny feeling he's uh, he doesn't have quite the same um, love infest that uh, Goldstein and Natanui will have. Uh, I think David Mundy will actually get his first All Australian Guernsey this year. Uh, I think Ibbotson will be in the squad, and I think maybe Lockie Neal will be in the squad. I think they're the only ones that realistically will be a chance this year. Uh, I don't think Lockie Neal will get in, but I think he'll certainly be a chance to make the, the final squad. And, yeah, what about yourself? I think I agree with you 100%, and I was potentially thinking about Walters or Pav as a potential forward line squad, but there's probably a lot of other sides out there that have got key forwards and small forwards that have probably had bigger, more consistent years than Pav and Walters. So, yeah, definitely agree with those other... That midfield combination of probably Sandlands and those three midfielders at his feet, Fife, Mundy, Hill, well, Actually, Hill, Hill will be an interesting one. Hill's had a really good finish to the year, and a lot of the time, Seppo, it's not how you, you, know, you play the first half of the year, it's how you play the second half of the year, and there's been a number of guys who've made all Australian teams who have been very poor or injured the first six or seven weeks, but come home with a flurry yep. and made the, the squad. mind of all those people selecting it, and they they're not smart. The people that do these all Australian squads, <laughs> yeah. So Hill wouldn't. Uh, Hill was probably one, and maybe as you said, Walters could be another small um, small ch- prob- chance. But Hill's been pretty consistent all year, and he's uh, you know consistently been giving us good use of the ball. And he's one that Jared Healy does love, so he might also be be a possibility, but that would have to be... I don't think Pav's done enough this year with the likes of uh, Kennedy and a few others that will uh, go ahead of him. Uh, But there'll be certainly those others I think will be a chance. Mm. And what do you uh, think about the Brownlow as well, Seppo? 
Well, I've uh, obviously you've seen the uh, thread on the board with my uh, prediction. I've actually got Fife finishing up on the year after not polling after round 14 on um, 27. Yeah, Fife on 27. And Monday back down on 20 and Hill on 12. I've seen someone post a link to a, a Phantom Brownlow medal standings up until this round, and they've actually got five at 30, and I think I've seen 30 mentioned a lot from other people. Obviously, I've given him a couple less where I thought he's probably, uh, probably behind the likes of Monday or Sandlands or Hill that I think in, in our eyes we're probably thinking it's a great game, but you never know what the umpires are thinking. But I've seen any prediction from 25 to 30, and in years gone past, that's enough to win it. So I think Fife's done enough um, up until his uh, round 14 with not many people... Uh, out of those games, obviously, a chance to uh, poll anymore. But I think his biggest competitors will probably be people like, you know, Mitchell, Hannabury, Prittis, and even Goldstein. Some people are thinking he might be right up there. But I think he's done enough, and I hope he does win because it would be just great to see that, um, you know, after all the issues and the hard work he's put on early in the season, um, I can't remember a, a better run of almost all those games just absolutely dominating. And I think that probably one game where I didn't give him a vote was that, um, I think it was a derby. No, I gave him a vote for that. But, yeah, he just was in the votes every single week. And let's just hope he can uh, bring home the uh, Brownlow medal because I'd hate to see it go to someone like Prittis again. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, Prittis obviously has had a good year, but there'll be other players like Gaff and that who will take votes off him and Kennedy and those sort of guys who will take votes off him. And, I mean, the fact is that Prittis has played more games, so he's going to be a chance. Mitchell, he's missed a couple of games, which will probably may hurt his chances. And then you've got the likes of Hanabry. The ones again, Sydney do have a few players in there. Uh, it would be certainly great to see Fremantle get their first ever Brownlow medalist, that's for sure. And we can only hope that it's um, be the first double this year, Seppo, and uh, we get another uh, shiny cup in the cupboard as well. So, But we've, it's been a year of first so far, and the McClellan Trophy, which no one's ever seen, um, is at least something that we have uh, picked up for the first time, and let's hope it's not the last uh, gong we pick up for the first time this year as we move forward. Yeah, I suppose the other thing that uh, Fife could potentially pick up is the obviously the AFL's MVP chosen by the players, and you've got the AFL Coaches Award, where I think he's about six or seven in front of Hanbury with uh, one game to play. So that's potentially he could come home. And if you're talking Norm Smith, um, you know, Brownlow, Doig is probably a couple of things that Fife can actually add to his uh, trophy cabinet this year that's all sort of on offer. So let's just hope he um, yeah, gets right the way through and has a cracking final series. Yeah, the last player probably had a dominant season like that. Seppo would have been James Hurd. You would have thought in the 2000 year where he, I think he won the Brownlow, he won the Premiership, he won the Anzac Day medal, he won the Essendon Best and Fairest. And I think he actually won some other award as well. Like was, I think he picked up five medals that year. Mm. Um, so just a fantastic year and um, unfortunately, a lot of all the hoopla that's happened over the last two or three years will muddy his uh, reputation a bit, but he was a fantastic player. Mm. All right. Any other points you want to bring up, Seppo, before we finish up for this week? No, other than the fact that I uh, uh, <laughs> feel sorry for I'm not heading across this game in Adelaide myself, but a uh, big, brave uh, decision for a lot of the people that you know booked their flights early on to go across to Adelaide to watch this. So let's hope that the people go there and actually watch it can enjoy and watch the youngsters and have a stress-free uh, game and, and cheer on the guys in their last game of the season. So look forward to uh, getting into finals next week. Yeah, and obviously a big show next week, Seppo, where we'll go 
because I can't imagine we'll be spending a lot of time next week on the review of this one because, you know, unless it's uh, something comes out of left field. But we'll certainly be having a good in-depth look at the uh, match-up next week where you'd have to think Fremantle and Sydney would be the likely uh, game to start off with the uh, qualifying final. Mm, it's going to be fantastic and looking forward to it. And just a reminder to all uh, the listeners as well that uh, if you haven't got your uh, letter yet, Fremantle uh, games will go on sale Monday unless uh, both teams are on at the same time. So there may be some changes. So just keep an eye out for that. And don't forget to subscribe to iTunes or have a listen on the board and visit the big footy boards at the same time. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks again for joining us this week, Seppo. No worries. And uh, go Freo in September. And we will see all you guys next week and enjoy the game this weekend and see some of the young talent coming through in a stress-free game before it all ramps up the week after. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.